I want to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you would. Um, Actually, open up to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read a verse out of Isaiah 7, but then we're going to go to Matthew 1 as well. And you'll see the connection between the two passages. Isaiah 7 verse 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we consider the coming of your Son into this world, would you give us hearts that are open and ready to receive from you and be thrilled with you and be refreshed by you in your presence. I pray that you'd give us understanding of what your word says here. And again, that we would encounter Emmanuel, who is God with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight or tomorrow, many, many children are going to be scurrying to the Christmas tree to open gifts. And, you know, there's kind of this catch-22 about that. As parents, we want to be wise and we want to teach our kids it's not all about gifts. But there is a right impulse about that, about gifts during Christmas time. And here's why. Christmas is about a gift. In fact, it, Christmas, that's all Christmas is about is a gift. The true meaning of Christmas, that's all it's about is a gift. It's about the gift of all gifts. We sing about it here on Sundays during Christmas season. We just got done singing four amazing songs celebrating this gift. We celebrate it. We talk about it. And in light of the gift, we, gives, we give gifts to others. Let's hear these words again, spoken 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. Isaiah 7.14, you've heard these words before. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in Matthew 1, it gives the parenthesis, which means God with us. The Lord, I love the words, the Lord himself. He doesn't need any help. He's not asking for any help. The Lord himself will act. He will do something. And what will he do? He will give. Right? The Lord himself will give you a sign. And what he gives is the greatest gift of all. It's not a thing. It's a person. He gives the greatest gift of all, which is a person named Emmanuel, which means God 
with us. Now just let those words sink in for a moment. God with us. God with us. Personalize it. Say, God with me. Think of your spouse or someone sitting next to you who's a, who loves Jesus and is a child of God. Think, God with you. God with them. God with us. What an amazing, amazing truth. Charles Spurgeon on this one phrase said this, let us admire this truth. Let's not just let it pass over our heads, right? Oh, we've heard this before. Let us admire this truth. He goes on to say, let us stand in reverent distance from it. As Moses did when he, when he saw God in the bush and stood a little back and took off his shoes, feeling that he was standing on holy ground. When we consider this truth, Emmanuel, God with us, we are standing on holy ground. This is not some ordinary truth. This is not everyday newspaper kind of news. This is one-of-a-kind, earth-changing news. Emmanuel, God with us. And I find it just absolutely amazing that God passionately wants to be with his people. It's not like he's trying to brush them off, you know, like, oh, these people just keep pestering me. I guess I better go visit them. God's never wondering with his children, I wonder if I can get out of this relationship here. No, he initiates. He gives the gift of himself, which is Emmanuel, God with us, which shows he wants to be with us. He does not want us to be far away. He doesn't want to keep us at arm's arm's length. And he doesn't want us to do that either. And far from being a killjoy, God is the happiest person on earth, or happiest person that exists, and gladly shares his happiness with all who receive him, with all who invite him or just want to be with him. He shares his happiness. Now, when we say God with us, it's clear that God was with his people before. In fact, God's purpose all along was to be with his people, right? Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. God created them for fellowship. We even get this this indication that God would often walk with them in the cool of the day, fellowshipping with them. And when they sinned, They not only plunged themselves into darkness, but everyone after them was plunged into darkness. We inherited from them a sinful nature which alienated us from God. So this desire of God to be with his people needed to be restored. And thankfully, even in the garden, at the same time that Adam and Eve sinned, God promised a redeemer who would come and restore all things. But then all throughout the Old Testament, we see God with his people. In fact, if God was with his people, they won the battle. If God wasn't with his people, they lost. They were defeated. We see God telling Moses to have the people build this tabernacle and have them encamp around it so that I can dwell in their midst. Uh, Solomon built a temple so that God could dwell in the Holy of Holies among and in the midst of his people. But all of these things were foreshadows. They were all pointing forward 
to what we see here. I love how Matthew one, <clears throat> excuse me, one twenty two says, "All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet." This is not just this is not just the ordinary way of God being with His people. This is brand new. This is something enormous. This is a radical shift in the way that God would be with His people. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All of this took place. The birth of Christ, the name given to the child, Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. The mission of the child, which was to save his people from their sins. All of this was to fulfill what Isaiah had spoken 700 years prior. And of course, that his name was Emmanuel, God with us. So in just the little time we have remaining, my aim is very simple. Here's what I want to do. I want to leave you today thrilled with Emmanuel. I I want you to leave today thrilled with Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, this this, ba- this God who became a man, who came into the world as a baby and grew up and lived a perfect life and died on a cross and rose again and ascended and poured out his spirit and promises to come again. I want you to be thrilled with the Lord Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at Jesus as Emmanuel in four steps. One, in his incarnation. Two, in his mediation, and kids, I'm going to define these for you, okay? Mediation, three, in his abiding presence, and four, in his second coming. So first, Jesus is Emmanuel in his incarnation. Incarnation means that Jesus Christ, who is eternally God, became like you and I in every single way without becoming less than God. He took on full humanity. When Christ was born, he was actually conceived in Mary's womb. God entered his creation, not in, not, not in a vision, not in some kind of theophany or thing, something like that, a visible manifestation. He entered into his creation as a human being. This had never happened before. The eternal God became a man. Now, it's really important that we understand that he did not become less than God. And when he came into the world, he was not less than fully human. Listen to the way that an old um, old catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, states it this way. The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, through the working of the Holy Spirit. So these three things need to be held together. One, a virgin will miraculously conceive and give birth to a son. Okay? That's one thing. Number two, the baby conceived in her is, as Matthew says, from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So she conceived, but it was from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So her female body conceived, but... Miraculously, it was from the Spirit. And number three, the baby born from Mary is God. 
It's God. I mean, the, the baby born in this little straw manger that was used to feed donkeys the day before was God laying there. It's amazing. Absolutely stunning. This is the foundation of our faith, and it is an astounding miracle. Christians who lived in pagan Rome at sometime around uh, late 3rd century, early 4th century, uh, decided they wanted to celebrate this event, which is why Christians since then have celebrated this event. It's why we celebrate Christmas. They lived in pagan Rome. They didn't want to participate in any of the pagan celebrations around this time of year. So they said, we are going to celebrate what is most important to us. And it is God becoming a man. God becoming a human being. Jesus was not crucified by the Jewish religious elite because he claimed to be born of a virgin. He, didn't, he wasn't crucified because he even claimed to be sent from the Holy Spirit. He was crucified because as a man, he claimed to be God. And they would have none of it. So we, in a sense, when we talk about the incarnation of Christ, when we talk about God becoming a man, we need a new category of thinking because we just, we can't, we can't put it all together. So here, here's a way for us to think about it, okay? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, remained what he always was from all eternity, namely God. That didn't change. And he became what he was not before, namely a human being, a full human being. Now, if you've been in church for a long time like I have, we run the risk of losing the wonder of this miracle. Anyone excited about going to see Star Wars? <clears throat> My kids are, and I, I'm going to take them because they are. Right? Uh, okay. Well, why, do, why do people go to movies like that? And, and other things. Why do people go visit amazing nat- sites of natural beauty for wonder? Our story is the most wonderful story in the world. We don't go enjoy Star Wars. We're going to. But don't, don't look for wonder there and lose sight of the massive wonder here. We need a fresh look at the birth of Christ. Consider this. When Jesus was born, as Mary held him in her arms, he, Jesus, namely, according to his human nature, was completely helpless. He needed to be nursed by Mary. He needed to be carried around from one place to the next. He needed to have his diaper changed or whatever they did back then. Right? And yet, at the same time, according to his divine nature, remember he was conceived through Mary, but is from the Holy Spirit, according to his divine nature, he was upholding the universe by the word of his power. He didn't become less than God. Hebrews 1.3 says, the Son upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is a wonder. That's mind-blowing. 
There are many ways throughout the history of the church people have tried to understand this, and, and, and many people have just got, gotten it wrong. They, because they, they don't want to let the seemingly uh, in irreconcilable differences stand and just sit back and put, our, put their hand over their mouth and say, wow, that's amazing. They want to try to put it together, and they mess it up. So <clears throat> some have said, well, maybe he became less than fully God, when he became man, he was mostly, you know, I mean, he, he, <clears throat> he was still God, but he, he kind of laid aside his divine attributes, or some of them. <clears throat> and of course, he was not outwardly impressive, but even his outward humility is part of his glory for those who have faith to see it. That God would humble himself and become a man is Unbelievable. And, and Paul makes it abundantly clear in Colossians 2.9 that he was fully God even as he walked around the earth in a body. It says in Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So he was not God-light. He was not a little less than God as he walked the Galilean, Galilean countryside. He was Emmanuel God with us. Now, some have suggested maybe he just looked like a human, but it was kind of more of a theophany, of just a visible manifestation of a human being. But that won't work either. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children share in flesh and blood, you and I, he also partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood. So when Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem and taught in the synagogue or was seen healing and eating with tax collectors and sinners, it was a true man doing those things. Of course, not just any man. It was the God-man, but it was true man walking the earth doing these things in a physical body. When Jesus went to, uh, sat next to the well and was tired, he really was. Tired. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1, We have heard him with our ears, we have seen him with our eyes, we have touched him with our hands. He is not just a vision of a man, he's the real deal. The long-awaited Messiah had come to be with his people. Hebrews 4 says the reason this is so wonderful is because if Jesus is really truly God, and truly man, in one person, we have a Savior who is sympathetic toward us and our weaknesses and our temptations. And yet, in the most significant way, he's not like us. He never sinned. He's perfect. He is perfect. So God knows our pain. God knows, well, let, me just put, let me just personalize this. God knows, you, you personalize this. God knows your pain and your weaknesses and your temptations firsthand. He knows it firsthand. Hebrews 4 says he's not, able to, he's not unable to sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God with us. 
But Jesus is also Emmanuel in his mediation. Jesus is Emmanuel in his loving work as the only mediator between God and men. Now, a mediator represents two people who are at odds with each other. And because they're at odds, they are alienated from one another. And the mediator's work is to bring them together, to reconcile those who are at odds. And Jesus is the only mediator between God and men. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. It's the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And this really is fundamentally why Jesus came into the world. So in one sense, not in one sense, really the incarnation is a means to another end. The incarnation was necessary for the cross. But it was not an end in itself. It was necessary, but not an end in itself. It was necessary for the cross. You're going to be doing lots of dinner prep. Maybe you already have. You're going to be doing lots of dinner prep today, tonight, tomorrow, probably this week, next week for uh, New Year's Eve celebrations, perhaps. But you would never mistake dinner prep for the actual feast. It's necessary, right? You can't have the feast without the dinner prep. Try doing that. Can't do it. It is necessary, but it is not the feast itself. At Christmas, we cannot stop with the baby in a humble, simple manger. We must follow the baby through his life to the rugged cross. We must follow him there. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die. This is how we understand his, this is, excuse me, this is how Jesus himself understood his own mission. He said things like, I came, I came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. That's a great Christmas text. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus lived and died for you in order to remove every barrier to you being with God forever. It was necessary. Our sin was a massive barrier, keeping us from God. More importantly, not just keeping us from God, but okay with that, but keeping us under the righteous and just wrath of God because of our sins. Our sins are great. Oh, absolutely they are. We, we must never downplay the significance and the, the enormity of our sin. But let that take us to the cross where we see our mediator taking care of our sin. Because he lived the perfect life as a man that you and I could never live. And then he died as a sacrifice, a spotless, sinless sacrifice on the cross so that we could be reconciled to God forever. The mighty love and grace of Emmanuel is greater than your greatest, darkest, deepest sin. 
Jesus opened the way into the presence of God for sinners. It's amazing. For undeserving people. I mean, there's not one person here, if you're honest with yourself, and you hear the voice of God entreating you to come to him, say, yeah, that's the place I, I, I deserve to be with God. No, we come based on the merit and work of Christ alone. And we celebrate that. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Number three, Jesus is Emmanuel as he continues to be with us. It's amazing. Right before Jesus ascended to be with the Father, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's given them kind of some last-minute instructions. And then it says, right before he's going to ascend before them, right before their eyes, he's, he's going to go up into heaven and disappear, disappear into the clouds. And he says these words to them. These are his last words according to Matthew. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the earth. I am with you always. Emphasis on always. It doesn't just say I'm going to be with you kind of generally, you know, kind of check in on you from time to time. I'll be with you, don't worry. He says, I will be with you always to the very end of of the earth. But how can this be? Right? He he disappeared in the clouds. Right after he said that, he went up in the clouds and they didn't see him anymore. Well, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus made it abundantly clear that on the one hand he was going to be leaving them. Right? And yet on the other hand, he would be with them in a deeper and more profound way. I never get over this statement from Jesus in John 16, verse 7, where he says, I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. You've been with him three years. You'd feel the same way they did. They probably were like, that is insane. That is nuts. They're, they're weeping. They're sorrowful. And Jesus says, it's better for you that I go. If I don't go, the helper won't be sent. But if I go, I will send him. Jesus would say things like, I'm leaving, and then he would say, but I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, my Father and I will make our home in you. And so Jesus is really and truly with us now and always by his indwelling spirit. And this is not meant just to be a theological truth that you affirm. He wants you to know that he is with you. Jesus gave his disciples the most impossible mission. And to encourage them, he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the world. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ and therefore Emmanuel is with us through his Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, again, is not like junior deity. He is fully God. Remember when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Well, the Holy Spirit's given a similar task. He, is, he indwells us to reveal Jesus to us, to, 
to disclose the things concerning Christ to our hearts, to show us who Jesus is and what he's like and give us a sense that Jesus is with us. I have this old prayer book. It's called The Valley of Vision. It's, it's, um, it's a bunch of prayers written by Puritans from four or 500 years ago. And, and there's this one prayer called Fullness in Christ. And there's this line that I've never forgotten. He says, let us never think that to be full, filled with the Spirit is to be filled with a thing outside of being filled with Jesus himself. Christ is with you by his Spirit. Elizabeth Elliot said, the secret... I'd put in there the secret to what? The secret to the Christian life is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. He is with us, and he is with us always. There is never a time, never a place, never a circumstance. If you love Christ, if you believe in Jesus, if you've repented and trusted in Christ, if you belong to him, there is never a time or place, never a circumstance where you might say, I don't think he's with me now. Because he is. Unless he's a liar. Unless he's a liar. And he's not a liar. He is with us. No matter what you face this next year, no matter what you face this holiday season, the difficulties that no doubt many people are facing right now. He is with you. His abiding presence is with you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and he said to the very end of the, earth, to the, very end of the world, well, what about the end of the world? He's still with us. Right? Because that's when he comes back again bodily for us. Right? Number four. Let's, let's jump into it. Jesus is Emmanuel in, in the consummation of all things. When he wraps it all up. Right? When he comes in the future as a conquering king. Do you ever think about Jesus returning? <clears throat> and you don't, I mean, honestly, I don't think about it as much as I ought to. Do you ever think about it, though? You should. It would make you a lot happier. It really would. It was the hope of the early Christians as they were being slaughtered. <laughs> they, had, they had an eternal hope. It was, it's been the hope of Christians all throughout the ages. It, you know, America is kind of an anomaly where we just think life goes on forever and it can't get any better, Right? It would make you so much happier if you thought about the return of Christ. He is, he is coming for you. And he is coming with infinite zeal for you. With great happiness for you. Second Thessalonians says those who have believed in Christ, they will marvel at him at his coming. It will be the marvel of all marvels. It will be the most amazing, stunning, glorious thing we will, if we're here, whoever is here, that's ever happened. And he will come with great joy to rescue his people forever. This world that God entered 2,000 years ago at Christ's first 
coming, at his first advent, will be recreated and utterly transformed at Christ's second coming. When he ascended into heaven, a couple of angels said to the disciples, right, he's going up into heaven bodily. He's like being raised up right, right, before, their, right before their eyes. And this angel said to them, guys, he's going to come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Meaning he's going to come bodily. He's going to come as the God-man. As the man who was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. He's going to come and he's going to come and conquer and he's going to come and wrap it up. He's going to come and save us to the uttermost. And then, we sung this earlier, then the words of joy to the world will be realized. He comes to make his blessings flow. Fully realized as far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found in the world? It's everywhere. When he comes... The prophecy of Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. His blessings will flow as far as the curse is found, namely, everywhere. And we will be with the Lord and see his glory, not with the eyes of faith like we do now, but with the eyes of sight. With the eyes of sight, we will, in awestruck joy and wonder forever, we will see and be with the Lord. Jesus expressed this as his greatest desire in the words of his prayer in John 17, verse 24. Jesus prayed this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me and see my glory. The glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. When we get a glimpse of God's glory by faith now, it's wonderful, it's amazing, right? Our hearts are warmed. It probably happens every Sunday when we sing and when we open up God's word. The eyes of faith, we see Christ. This will be on a whole other plane. We will see Christ's uncreated glory. This is our future hope. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God with us. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And what will he do? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There's a scene in, uh, well, there's a part in the, in the book, um, Lord of the Rings, where Sam Gamgee talks to Gandalf and he says, is there going to be a day when everything sad comes untrue? And 
when Christ comes again, everything sad and dark and sinful and painful will become untrue because he makes all things new. Through Christ, God will dwell with us as our God, unfiltered forever. Jesus is, not was, Jesus is now Emmanuel, God with us. He became like us in his incarnation. He lived and died for us to remove every barrier to God in his work as mediator. He remains with us through his spirit and he is coming again for us when he consummates all things. It's clear. God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with you. So how do we know him as with us? How do, we, how, how do we know him as God with us? Or how do you know him as God with you? Because maybe everything I've said so far, there's, you've heard it. I mean, you're, you're good with that, right? You believe it. I mean, you understand. You've heard it before, perhaps. But you're, you're just thinking, but how do I know him as God with How do I know that he's with me? That he's Emmanuel, God with me. I want to know him that I want to know that he's with me. He wants you to know him as that. John chapter 1 says this. To all who receive him who believe in his name. He gives the right to become children of God to all who receive him. When you give a gift to your child, what do you want them to do? Receive it. Right? He, what do we need to do? We need to receive Christ as a gift. As a gift. Not even mainly the things that he does for us, but receive him as a gift. Believe in his name. What's his name? Emmanuel, God with us. But a gift, even a gift, can remain under the tree or on the shelf, wrapped, nicely wrapped, like, like Grandma Cindy wrapped. I mean, nicely wrapped. I mean, just amazingly wrapped. And unopened, it is not received. You must receive Christ as a gift, as a joyful Receive him with joy as a gift and open that package and rejoice in him. A tip of the hat to Jesus will not do. A little sinner's prayer, maybe you prayed a long time ago, will not do. If you want to know Jesus as God with us in the fullest, the most exhaustive sense, we have the most exhaustive sense that you can know him You must receive him fully. Not a divided or partial Jesus. Not a Jesus who's Savior but not Lord. You must receive him fully. Not a Jesus who kind of adds a little comfort to life or a little spice to life sometimes, a little pick-me-up from time to time. No, he will not be that for you. Not a Jesus who adds, who is like garnishment on the plate of your designer life. He won't be that for you. Receive Jesus as Emmanuel, God 
with us. God with you. Receive Jesus, Emmanuel, as a precious gift. As your greatest treasure. Because if you would have him, if you would receive him, like right now, if you would receive him and have him as your greatest treasure, you know what? He would be. He would be your greatest treasure. So receive him today. Let's pray.